Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Alright, plenty of seats in the front room. Let's go. Don't be shy. There's seats. Hi, Diamond. Hi, Tim. Hello. Uh, I'll, I'll move over here. Okay. We're starting actually. Yeah. You're Father God, we praise you. We thank you that we get a chance to get together and worship you and, and fellowship one with another. And what a joy it is to be with like-minded believers and just share our, our hearts with one another and with you, Lord. And we worship you and we praise you and we thank you for a great night tonight. In Christ's name, amen. 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 All right. <laughs> I'm super excited. This is... I like every chapter of Hebrews. This is my... Other favorite chapter. So, <laughs> well, my first favorite chapter in Hebrews is chapter one, and then well, then two is pretty good. Three is fantastic. Four, wow. I like eleven. Five, eleven's great. Ten, woo. Okay, so we're in Hebrews chapter ten. Forsake not the assembling yourselves together. Yeah, but we had, no. That's that's later on after verse seven. I, yeah, I know yeah. it's after verse seven, but it's in ten. So I, I actually endeavored to. Uh, um, Take on ten verses tonight and and quickly modify. So, anyhow, you, <laughs> you you get seven, but really you well, get one. So we're gonna get to eat, eat a little earlier. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. Okay. All right. So the title of this message is "Behold, I have come." This is Hebrews chapter ten, verses one through seven. Hebrews ten. This out of the English Standard Version. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sin every year. And as we talked and discussed before, this is uh, focusing mainly on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, but it encompasses the whole sacrificial system. And if it was actually efficacious, if it actually worked, you'd only had to do it once. You know, the minute that, that God clothed Adam and Eve in animal skins, that would have been it. But it wasn't. Uh, that time when Noah sacrificed animals when he came off the ark, that had been it, but it wasn't. And all the hundreds of thousands of animal sacrifices over, this, over the centuries, millennia, couldn't get it done. They only remind of sin. They don't cleanse of sin. For it is impossible, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Now, if you look at native religions and you look at ancient Judaism, you might think there's some semblance because of animal sacrifice. Or even, God forbid, human sacrifice. There is a difference. Animism and pagan systems of worship still utilize 
animal blood in their attempts to assuage, to uh, bend the spirit realm to their needs or because of their fears or because of their desires or because understanding that something has to give, none of it can, it's impossible. It is impossible. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Animal blood couldn't do it. Animal life couldn't do it. All it could do is have a short stopgap measure. Consequently, verse 5, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. I'm going to concentrate on a body you have prepared for me. All of this is meaty. <laughs> but a body you have prepared for me. When did, when did Christ, when did Messiah say this? Way, way long before Hebrews. When it, what does the first point out? What was this declaration? When he what? When he came into the world. When he came into the world, he said, "Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you prepared for me." There is a marked difference in the believer coming to Scripture and the intellectual coming to the Bible. A believer coming to Scripture, believes in a living God who by the Holy Spirit had holy men of God write down truth. Intellectuals studying the Bible get involved in higher criticism, comparative religions, and jots and tittles that aren't the real jots and tittles. They start swallowing camels. Okay? So, we're going to see this is not a direct quotation from Psalm. It's a near direct quotation. But the writer of Hebrews, by the Holy Spirit, captures the Son's announcement in His departure from heaven and His entrance into humankind. We have recorded in Scripture what Christ said when He came into the world. I don't know how, and it's just overwhelming to me. We have recorded for us what our Savior said when He laid down divine attributes to humble Himself to the form of a man. Amen. So it's December. It's the Christmas season. And all issues and discussions of pagan infiltration and synergism and all these other kinds of uh, syncretism, I should say, uh, in our holidays and our practices and all that, let's just chuck that out the window for right now for a minute. Yes, sir. Because the entire Western world, if not the entire planet, in one form or another, is acknowledging that Messiah has come. And so, as Paul said, some preach... Christ out of contention? Okay. Christ is preached. And it's a wonderful time 
to really understand or try to understand all that God put into that singular event that redeemed all of humankind. It, it, is, it is sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. As it is written of me, in essence, in the Torah. This is Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8, out of the New King James. Sacrifice an offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Yahweh is the is, was, will be. And when He relates to us, He relates to us in His transcendent, ever-present, always state, because that's who He is. God doesn't change His character. God doesn't change who He is. He who He is. Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, when we see how God relates to mankind, you know how He relates to you. So you may think you got a word from God about a particular time in your life. And you did. But God's words are what? Everlasting. Everlasting. You think it only applies to that time in your life? I know... They're always specific. I know that they at times appear to just be singular. But it never is. Because God is never one dimensional. And so this psalmist, under the auspices of the Holy Spirit, worshiping God, speaks words that apply to himself, speaks words that apply to the congregation, and prophesies about Messiah, capturing by the Holy Spirit, what the Godhead had decided before the ages. And wrote down Messiah's proclamation before He came into the world. My ears you have opened. My ears you have dug. And I think another psalm says, you know, you've pierced my ears. Morning by morning you teach me, evening by evening I hear you. That's a paraphrase. So, look at this comparative here. Psalm 40 verse 6 is, my ears you have opened. Hebrews 10 verse 5 is, a body you have prepared for me. So, if you've ever studied the Bible, you know, and you read New Testament, and you read things like, um, as the scriptures say, or, um, as the prophets, or to fulfill what the prophets said, that kind of a thing. And, and then you look at your center reference, and then you, you go back, and you find the verse that they're citing, and, and it, the, the words don't agree. You ever had that happen? Right? You ever have it happen where it's a fulfillment of a prophecy, and you can't even find that in the Old Testament? What's going on there? Different story. Okay, real quick, 
New Testament, particularly Greek New Testament, takes its quotations from the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament. Okay? So, um, that's a nice little tidbit for you to know, except for Hebrews 10.5, it doesn't agree with the Hebrew, and it does not agree with the Septuagint. Okay? <laughs> it is a revelation, an amplification of the application of what the psalmist wrote coming out of Messiah's mouth. Okay? And yet, because God is never one-dimensional, it means the same thing. Why was that body prepared? I come to do your will. My ear you have dug. Hear, O Israel. To hear is to obey. To hear is to do. When in the Israeli economy, the Old Testament economy, when there was a bondservant, someone who had been indentured, they were to be set free at the end of seven years. But there were occasions where that servant said, you know what, I would rather be a slave to this house than a free man of my own. This is not chattel slavery. So chattel slavery, which is what we in our history experienced, was when men and women were sold and children were sold and got rid of like cattle, like property. If you read the Old Testament, that is not the slavery of the Old Testament, and it's not necessarily the slavery of much of the ancient world. There were responsibilities and duties and mutual obligations. Okay? So when this person said, no, I want to be bonded to this house, then the master would take him to his house, and he with an awl would pierce his ear, basically nailing him to the door of the house. This is part of the significance of, my ear you have opened. I have bonded myself to you in total lifetime obedience. Okay? Also, that God had opened his ear to hear. Remember all the times that Jesus looked at his disciples and said, I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried three days and three nights. And they didn't get it. And they didn't get it. And they didn't get it. And then the women saw the empty grave and they didn't believe it. And then they went and saw the empty grave and they didn't understand it. Then they went and hid because they were afraid. And then he showed up and said, this is what I told you and they didn't get it. And then it says, and he opened their mind. And then they got it. And you may wonder to yourself, how can someone say something so barefacedly and someone not get it? Because God can say things you don't understand so that when He gives you understanding, you go, aha, that was God, and He said it. Amen. Okay? And so, Messiah wide open to the Father. But a body you have prepared for me. Okay? This obedience and sacrifice. The tie-in here to these two verses is to do your will. We're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to prove the will of God. Right? My ears you have opened. 
a body you prepared for me to do your will, O oh God. To do your will. So sacrifice and obedience. You remember Samuel and Saul and the Amalekites? Uh, a little mystery for you, Saul. I need you to commit a little genocide for me. Peace people's time is done. I want them wiped off the planet. He saves the king. He saves the cattle. He saves the sheep. I think that was the king that, that Samuel called and said, well, let me talk to him. And he grabs a sword and he hacked him to pieces. <laughs> when you think about that, really hacking it, it it's pretty, brutal. Wow. It's brutal. <laughs> and, and scripture records, King's like, okay, I get to see this, I get to see the prophet guy. I guess I'm okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you're not. Yeah. Right? Remember his words to Saul? As uh, Saul said, well, you know, we saved the best so we could sacrifice to God. And he said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fatter rams. For rebellion is the sin, is as the sin of witchcraft, is what it says later. First Samuel 15, verse 22. King James. <clears throat> How obedient was Jesus? Obedient unto death. Unto death. What kind of death? Not a good death. The death of the cross. Cruel, cruel are the mercies of the wicked. Cruel are the mercies of the wicked. I don't think there was any mercy there at all. If you, uh, if you have any doubts about personal evil on planet Earth, I don't know. Somebody hit a switch. <laughs> okay. If you if you have any doubts about personal evil on planet Earth, just do a little study on the Holocaust. Yeah. It's crazy. If the strobe affects anybody besides me, let me know. Um, the fans going for those of you on audio. Anyhow, you, you want you want to turn it off? Yeah. Yeah. Can we turn that off, Gideon? No, we can't. It's broken. Huh? We could try. Pull the cord like, twice. Can really hit it? Yeah. Or, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I think it's broken. One. That's good. Two. That's good. That's good. Slow down. You got it. You got it. Going. It's slowing. Okay, now if you blink your eyes, yeah. everybody look at the fan. If you blink your eyes, it stops. Holy Spirit was moving. That's it. I know. This is Cruel are the mercies of the wicked. So that's scary. Roman crucifixion was a perfection of an art that started way back with the Persians and impaling. And they developed it to a fine tenor. Beginning which the medial nerves were cut with the nails. Ever hit your Funny bone? So imagine that happening, but it happening, it won't go off because that got cut. And then you're put in a distressed place. Crucifixion is asphyxiation because the arms are up, the diaphragm can't expand. And so to fight for breath, you have to push up, oh, against a spike through your ankles. 
But before that, we're going to take a cat of nine tails and we're going to rip every shred of skin off of your back from the back of your head to the, to the bottom of your feet. And then we'll let you bleed and starve and suffocate on a stake of wood for all man to see. He knew the type of death he was going to. This wasn't stoning. Stoning was quick, was supposed to be. You know, crush his head, it's done. No. Crucifixion. He was obedient unto death. The death of the cross. Andrew Murray in The Holiest of All says, Sin, in its deepest root, is a turning from God to self, rejecting God to please self. At its deepest root. Jesus conquered sin at its deepest root. Not my will be done, but thine. Not my will be done, but mine, thine. I always do those things that please Him. What I see the Father doing, I do. He overcame sin at its deepest root so that we can live free from the inmost place. Amen? Amen. A body, a body you prepared for me. And somehow that just doesn't do it justice. You know, it's like you want to say it a little bit louder. You know, you want to say, a body, a body you prepared for me. But somehow, somehow that doesn't quite get it. You got to say it a little louder and you want to say, a body, a body you prepared for me. And somehow, somehow it doesn't quite get it. And you got to go a little louder. <laughs> and for those of you on audio, this is all caps. A body you prepared for me. I, I was tempted to call this the understatement of the agent. But it's simply profound. This is right up there with God's first recorded utterance. And God said, everything else is just the details. That is the entire gospel. Let there be light. And there was light. <laughs> A body you have prepared for me. A deceptively simple scenario in life where a young woman believes a prophecy and a promise and conceives a man who changed the world. By anyone's estimation, atheist, antichrist, believer, Jesus of Nazareth, change the history of mankind. And yet, it goes so much farther beyond AD 1. <laughs> so much farther beyond BC 1. Okay? So much farther beyond 14 whatever BC. It goes back a wee bit. How awesome, how important is it that 
God prepared a body for Christ to enter the world. How important is it? <clears throat> well, anybody, anybody ever prayed for better discernment? Anybody? Anybody ever wanted to be spiritually in tune, like wanting to know when they're dealing with, um, or knowing when to be aware when they're dealing with evil spirits? Anybody? Good spirits. Anybody? Alright, I'll give you one simple litmus test of truth. You ready? 1 John 4, verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So, you don't have to worry about knowing who the Antichrist is. Scripture added it for us. Anyone who denies Jesus is anti-Messiah. Anti-anointing. Anti-God. Period. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. Okay? So don't be, don't be so caught up in prophetic fulfillments to miss current conflicts. <laughs> okay? The fact that verse 2 refers to See, remember, Christ isn't his last name. You know, Jesus was not born to Mr. and Mrs. Christ. Okay? Christ is his title. Messiah. It means anointed. And he came in the flesh. That is from God. And there are ever so many um, within the church and without the church that want to argue this point. I'm going to share some things tonight that might even make you go, I don't know. But you have to think of the full implications of what it means for God to come into humankind and to fully appreciate what our Father and what His Son and what the Holy Spirit has brought to us in the redemption of mankind. It is necessary that you understand that Jesus Christ is come into the flesh. This was His declaration in His departure from heaven. A body you have prepared for me. All of that doesn't satisfy what is required. A body you prepared for me. Behold, I come to do your will, O God. 1 Timothy 3, verse 16, out of the English Standard Version. Great, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness. <clears throat> he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. 
This, by the way, is a recorded hymn of the early church. This is a doxology. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit proved that Jesus was who He said He was. The man who said, before Abraham was, I am. The man who called himself Lord of the Sabbath. The man who looked at Philip and said, have you been with me so long and you still haven't seen the Father? <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. This out of the New King James. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, a hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. As God revealed portions of this, as a matter of fact, we'll see it when He lays down he lays down the challenge, you know. It's like, uh, uh, think of the old, uh, um, in chivalry or, or even, even in, in, uh, in the 19th century, you know, the pair of gloves and you smack the other man on the face. Ah, it's, a, it's on now, you know, challenging you to a duel. Well, I'll show you God's smackdown when he looked at the serpent. I mean, anyhow, point is, I'll keep reading. 1 Corinthians 2, we're gone, verse 9. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Never stop it. Don't just stop. That's a, great, that's a great declaration, right? The promises in verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. We're not left in the dark. We know what God has prepared for those who have loved Him. Because the Spirit has revealed it to us, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, the spirit of the world, this anti-Messiah spirit. We didn't receive that spirit, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And I pray... The Holy Spirit give us all a renewed and deeper revelation of what Messiah has accomplished and what we have gained through redemption in Him. Amen? Yeah. Neither Satan nor any of the fallen angels were privy to the Godhead eternal covenant or God's end game. They did not know. And we've gone over this in terms of the, the generations of the heavens and the earth, of the war in heaven, and the casting out of Lucifer, who now we know as Satan and the devil. All that, that transpired. You think God's never taken by surprise. He already had this in His back pocket, and they had no idea. When God called forth light and made the firmament, and dry ground, and grass, and herb, and everything appear, and started making animals. We already know that holy angels still scratch their head throughout all the revelation of the, of the Old Testament. What's going on? I see, 
I see the sufferings of Christ in the glory. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Can you imagine the devil and his minions? What's going on? And then God makes man. Ah! I could win here. No idea. A body you have prepared for me. Adam, male and female, God created in his own image. Genesis 1, 26 uh, and 27 and Genesis 5, 1 and 2. The day he created the male and female, he called their name, their name, Adam. Their name, Adam. Man was formed. The Hebrew word used is yetzar, to mold or form like pottery. So the man was formed from the dust of the ground. You ever seen a potter work on the wheel? You ever read verses where God calls himself the potter and calls us the clay? So guys, <laughs> the XY crowd, that's you. Good clay pot. Okay? Woman was made. The Hebrew word there is banah. And it means to build or construct like an altar or houses or a temple. Any guy here not come away from a conversation with a woman and known beyond a shadow of a doubt they were more complex than you were? <laughs> because if you did not come away with that, if you did not come away with that impression, yeah, yeah, if you did come away with that impression, you anyhow. So that's Genesis two seven for the man, uh, Genesis two twenty one through twenty three for the woman. He closed up the flesh. God opened the man's side, removed a bone, and fashioned the woman. Jesus hung on the cross, and a soldier took a spear and pierced his side, and blood and water came out. The bride comes from the body. Then God said, Be fruitful and multiply, and have dominion. Genesis 1.28 The entire... A body thou hast prepared for me? That point was contingent upon all else that transpired. I had a, I had a conversation with uh, one of my dear childhood friends. And we were, we were actually discussing extraterrestrial life <laughs> and um, this, this paradox, the name of which I can't remember. But basically, um, there are some scientists that say, you know, based upon what they see in the universe, um, there should be all kinds of aliens out there. But then all scientists go, if that's the case, where are they? Because we can't see them, we can't hear them, and they're not there. <laughs> and, and so, even if... Even if uh, you happen to believe in evolution. Um, prominent. Matter of fact, the, the, the man who is called the, the most prominent evolutionary theorist of the 20th century said, in essence, that the probabilities for evolution are so low in that, from his opinion, it happened on Earth, it couldn't have happened anywhere else. 
That's because there was no revolution. There was no revolution. <laughs> but here's the point. Here is the point. There is so much fine-tuning to the creation. For life to happen on this planet, a body thou hast prepared for me starts all the way with let there be light and day and night being divided and a firmament being made and the waters being gathered and dry land appearing and vegetation and the stars and the sun and the moon and the animals formed from the ground and the seas teeming with life and the nephesh God created for great whales that He took and he, more, and, he, and he molded and fashioned and placed in a man when He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. And then He presented all these animals, none that looked like Him, let them take a nap and then let them have a honeymoon. Our God is good. And He said, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. All of that is the prep work contingent upon a body thou hast prepared for me. To say it is epic is to not do it service, but I have no other name for it. Genesis 3, verse 14. Here's the smackdown. Here's God pulling his glove out and just smacking the devil right across the face. I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm going to do, and I'm going to tell you exactly who I'm going to do it through. Take your best shot. I will win. You want to be like me? <laughs> you know God laughs. You know laughter is spiritual warfare. <laughs> so the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. What was man formed from? Dust. dust of the ground. What part of man was that? His body. His body. What does the devil feed on? Flesh. Flesh. Who said that? You said that. Noah said flesh. High five, buddy. Good job. Yes. That's what the serpent goes after all the time. He goes after your flesh. Because I know in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. Why? Because we are the children of fallen man. The fall happening in Genesis 3. <clears throat> On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Revelation chapter 12. <clears throat> so is that reference there, when he says you shall eat dust, that's referencing the flesh then as well? Uh, yes. And to serpents crawling. And to... Um, and to Satan being cursed above, above the lowest animals of the field. You know, if God does what to the prideful? He brings, brings, he humbles them, right? I, I, you know, I can't, 
I can't imagine a greater humbling, except for one, can't imagine a greater humbling than to take the creature that we see described in Ezekiel 28, the one who Isaiah tells us said, I will ascend to the throne of the Most High, I will be like the Most High, and for the Most High, creator of the heavens and the earth, say, you, in the vernacular, are lower than a glowworm's belly, right? <laughs> I mean, you're down there. You're cursed beyond all of anything, more than every beast of the field. Okay? I can only think of one greater humbling than that. God Almighty, creator of the heavens of the earth, ever-present, all-knowing, all-powerful, transcendent, confining himself to the zygote of a female human being and coming into the world. A helpless baby. What does God do to the humble? Gives grace enough. Revelation chapter 12. Verse 1, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was pregnant, and was crying out in birth pains, and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon, with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven, and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. He might devour it. Game on. Day one. You want to see it? Genesis chapter 4. Seed is progeny. But we understand how conception is. And seed, seed comes from the man. The woman has progeny, but she has no seed. She has progeny. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. So we all know what that means biblically. Husband and wife got together. And she conceived and bore who? Came, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. And so, my brother Eric pointed this out to me one time, and I thought, man, that makes sense, brother. But there's no knowing before Abel. I, I believe a good case could be made that Cain and Abel were twins. That this first recorded birth is a dual birth. There's a knowing and a Cain bearing and an Abel bearing. Oh wow! Okay. That, that's insane. Not gonna not gonna make a you know the first church of the Twinites on that, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, well, we know what happened, right? And verse five. It says, "But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard." So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, 
Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So we saw this picture in Revelation. And again, I'm telling you, Yahweh speaks as the is, was, will be. And so, His waiting for the woman to bear the child, which is the Messiah, you can make that out fairly clearly when you read Revelation 12, to devour it as soon as it was born, saw its first attempt in her first child, who the New Testament says was of that evil one. Corrupt. Completely corrupt. The first progeny. Cain. Okay? So, um, did I say this was epic? A body you have prepared for me. So God says, I'm going to bring a redeemer from the woman. And the devil has been killing women ever since. Okay? It's, it's, uh, it's not necessarily a, a special class of victimhood that you women get to have. It's just a special class of vindictiveness that he has. Mostly exercise the warping of men's souls to abuse women. Um, and yet, and yet, um, through attempts to corrupt the human race, through the Nephilim, an entire global flood, every family, every delineation, and then he calls Abraham out and he speaks the gospel to Abraham and says, through you all nations of the earth will be blessed. And so then... Abraham's wife is taken for a minute and then given back. And then from Abraham to um, Jacob and Esau. And Esau wants to kill Jacob. And then from Jacob to Judah and so on and so forth. I mean, the whole line under assault and under attack and its most recent major eruption that we're aware of is the Holocaust. The industrial murder of an entire race promulgated by pure evil. It's, it's um, you know, I, I apologize if I make genocide sound light. It's not. But, but even uh, ancient genocide holds no candle to the death factories of Nazi Germany. No candle. I cannot. It, it, is, it, is, it is beyond imagination. And yet, and yet, even down to the babies of Bethlehem and the slaughter of the innocents, and yet, behold, I have come. There's got to be a correlation in the Spirit of Christ between, Behold, I have come, and it is finished! <laughs> Just the sheer magnitude of it, of this malevolent serpent who believes he is beautiful beyond all proportion and wise beyond anything else. 
And God says, watch me make a clay jar. Watch me enter the clay jar. Watch me be a little baby and a dead man and take the keys from your hand and let you know your rebellion will not stand. I am God. There is no other. Amen. Amen. Christmas time, people. Thank you, Lord. This is just... Ah! Make you want to scream. Galatians 3.16 Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He doesn't say into seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. In the Old Testament, when this Hebrew word is used for seed, and it refers to the promised progeny, it is always in the singular. That's how specific God is in giving revelation. It is in a singular form. As in when he said, between your seed and her seed, singular. John chapter 8. Got to start in verse 36, because it's a good verse. <laughs> John 8, 36. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you, sh you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. And they answered, said unto them, Abraham's our father. Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard, from, heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God, vindicated by the Spirit. This is how they behaved toward him in the flesh. Bastard. That's what they called him. Right? Jesus said unto, him, unto them, If God were your father, I would, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. I'll show you how he sent him. Jesus didn't force his way in. God sent him. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He abode not in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. Those are the seed of the serpent. Children of the devil. These are uh, men and women who have completely corrupted themselves in belief um, of Satan's lie. And the, the most exposition we get of it in terms of their activity and direction, and I mean direct speaking, is from Jesus' mouth. We get sons of Belial in the Old Testament. Um, we, we get this mention of Cain and, and uh, Balaam uh, in the New Testament. Uh, those who are of that evil one, okay? And, and that, is that, that is that fight. That is that fight that the children of God and the children of this world, in that sense, are up against. Luke chapter 1. And verse 26. In the sixth month, now this is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. 
So, if you've ever seen, uh, you know, a Bible video where John the Baptist is some old wizened prophet and Jesus is some upstart young kid, no. They're cousins and they're six months apart. <laughs> okay? <laughs> In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at his shining clothes and the wings behind his back and the way his voice sounded like a trumpet. No, I didn't say that, right? <laughs> but I've seen that painting too. Okay? Um, you would think that if Gabriel showed up like that, that might be what had her scratching her head. That's not what has her scratching her head. Um, scripture says you, you, entertain you, uh, you entertain angels unawares. An angel can show up and look just like a human. I think this is how, you know, Gabriel just walked right up, looks like any other ordinary guy, and uses this greeting. And she's, well, that's kind of strange. I don't have any money. No, um, that didn't happen either. <laughs> But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. You're not from around here, are you? <laughs> and the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I mean, there's a mouthful, right? Here is this young uh, Jewish gal, and this person walks up to her and says, You're going to have a baby, and oh, by the way, he's going to be the king of Israel. And oh, by the way, he's going to rule over Jacob for, forever. And oh, by the way, yeah, this is it. Um, of his kingdom there shall be no end. In other words, this baby you're going to give birth to, who's going to reign, can live forever. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, now you take, take into account all that he just promised, and, and you know right off the bat that Mary is very practical. It's not... Wow! Um, line of David, really? Wow! Uh, king of Israel, really? Wow! Uh, king forever? Isn't that great? No! How are we getting this done? You know, I'm engaged. I haven't slept with a man. I, you know, Mom and I had a talk. I know how it goes, but it hadn't happened. So, what are you doing? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He sent me. I did not come by myself. He sent me. Jesus' prayer before He went into the garden was, Glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world began. It took from the ascension to glorification took 10 earth days. Which, you know, is that in the spirit realm. But still, 
remantling godhood is a process. So, you know, I, I know, I say I know, you've got to think through these things. Laying down, Jesus of Nazareth was not omniscient. Jesus of Nazareth was not omnipotent. He slept. He got hungry. He got tired. He got depressed unto death. I am sorrowful unto death before he had to go to the cross. Think outside your imagination and the four walls of the universe and go bigger and then take that down to a pinhead which is about the size of a woman's egg. And think about how much humbling that takes from omnipresence to another set of chromosomes. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. The Greek is, you know, you're familiar with the term rhema, right? A word from God, a promise from God. No rhema of God is impossible. Everything he proclaims will transpire. <laughs> so, as a as a hope. Look, you know Elizabeth. You know your cousin. She's pregnant. Don't you get it? She is pregnant. This can happen. This is possible. This can be done. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Be it unto me according to your word. Let it be according to your word. Let it be, according to your word. This is how you conceive a promise from God. I am your servant. Let it be, according to your word. Amen. Is there any recording of her sweating in Luke 2? Nail-biting. Hair tearing. All that came later. No. Simple, faithful appropriation and acquiescence. Let it be according to your word. Luke 2, verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, circumcised the eighth day, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Before he was conceived in the womb. A body you have prepared for me. God created this process. God engineered this process. God spoke his blessing over this process. He said, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. And then he came through that process and his kingdom will never end. God will have His will done through you. 
whether you like it or not. <laughs> I mean, I say that as a promise, right? Because that's what you really want. You may kick and fight, we all do, at points. Ultimately, though, ultimately, you were made to be in the holy will of God. That's why you were made. That's how you were made. That's how you will sing. That's how you will live forever. That was His will and desire. This is just... Ah, the Gospel. Philippians chapter 2. And verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which, was all, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. A way to understand this is, is that Jesus Christ didn't consider holding on, clasping on to divinity. He willingly let it go. but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. <clears throat> if you studied any biology, you know how men are born. Any spirit that proclaims Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. He is fully God He's fully man. And I think much of Christendom has no problem embracing the fully God part. But boy, do we struggle with the man part. We want Jesus of Nazareth to be magic man. He's not magic man. He's obedient man. He submitted His will to the will of the Father to show what you can do through Him. Well, Jesus, Jesus could heal people because He was God. Jesus could walk on water because He was God. Jesus could prophesy because He was God. No. Jesus could walk on water because God said He could and He did. Jesus could heal because God said He could and He did. So if God tells you you can heal, how do you obey? By healing. By healing. Start on yourself. There you go. <laughs> I was in Philippians. It works. It does. He emptied himself. He divested himself. Again, Jesus of Nazareth had to be fed. He grew in wisdom and stature. He learned. Omnipotent beings don't learn. Mostly because they know everything. <laughs> Jesus had to learn. Okay. So anybody that tells you to know everything, they're in, you're, they're in trouble, right? Yeah. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. A body you have prepared for me. 
God formed man out of the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of the Most High God, was spirit, soul, and body. On the cross, Luke 23, 46, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This will be my one plug for King James Version, okay? <laughs> if you start studying spirit, soul, and body, most modern versions will leave you in the dust because they don't translate it correctly. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. ESV did in this case. <clears throat> Acts 2.31, Peter said that he spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, he being David, that his soul, Christ's soul, was not left in Hades. Christ's soul was not left in Hades. Jesus, at the Last Supper, took the bread and broke it. He said, take, eat, this is my body. This is my body. Joseph of Arimathea went to Pontius Pilate, and the King James says he craved the body of Christ. What a phrase. Do you crave the body of Christ? Because for us, this is the body of Christ. This is just three. I, I could have spent a long time on this. <laughs> Suffice it to say, Scripture nails it. Jesus of Nazareth wasn't God appearing to be a man. He wasn't a phantom that, that took on uh, and deceived people to think He was flesh. He wasn't a man that wasn't spirit. Wasn't that either. The eternal Son of God in submission to the Father's will and the eternal covenant made in the Godhead said sacrifices and offerings you would not and in burnt offerings and in sin offerings you have taken no pleasure behold I come a body you have prepared for me to do your will O God and the Holy Spirit took the Son of God, as the Son of God divested omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence, all those divine attributes He laid down not to be grasped. And He took Him and He came over Mary and He deposited the Spirit of the Son in Mary's womb and generated a soul we know of as Jesus of Nazareth in a body that grew and gestated like you gestated, that was born as helpless as you were born, except that no king wiped out every child your age. Your parents didn't leave the country to be safe. They didn't try to throw you off a cliff. They didn't try to stone you. They didn't try to arrest you. They came to arrest him, and he said, Who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I told you, 
I am! And they all fell down. Take me. <laughs> Flesh and blood. He walked subservient to God on ground and on water, destroying every work the devil did and bringing the kingdom of God on earth. What a Savior. Mm -hmm. Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 7. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do Your will, O God, as it is written of Me in the scroll of the book. Amen? Amen. And the Lord Amen. God was that He wanted to redeem mankind. That's right. He wanted to redeem you and I. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, God.